All right, tonight I'm going to be coming from Ezekiel 37. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above. But there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. It always grabs my attention in the Bible when God asks a prophet, a priest, a king, a question. Because he always knows the answer to it. So I gather that anytime he does that, there's something profound that he's going to say to us. When you have a curiosity and you feel that it's a God-inspired curiosity, God is really trying to tap into your life for a particular purpose, for a season, for a certain deliverance, for a certain message, for a certain word. And sometimes our curiosity, we kind of shake it off. But an inquisitive mind in the Lord is what David had. He wanted to be in the temple and make inquiries of God to get God's understanding, to get God's wisdom, to get God's mindset. And that's not a bad thing. It's a very good thing to chase after the will of God. Ezekiel's experience. Number one, he says he was carried out in the spirit and he set him down in the midst of the valley of bones. He said to him, now, when he, came, when he went into this vision, 
he was in the temple. In fact, Israel was actually in a good time in their life. They weren't defeated at this point. But God was showing them there's going to be a time where defeat is going to come and Israel's going to look just like this vision I'm about to show you. So God knows how to prepare us. Sometimes even in our summer, we can always remember there's winter coming. But when the winter comes, we need to go look back in retrospect and remember how good God was in the summertime and showed us that this would come to pass. He set him in the midst of the valley. This is not something that Ezekiel would stood afar off and got a glimpse of. This is something that even though he was living in good times, he probably felt the pain of this dry season, of this defeated foe, this defeated army that he was looking at in the midst of it. And he says it was full of bones. It wasn't full of bones. It wasn't a graveyard. It wasn't graves dug. They were left out in the open. All right, then he was made to walk through the bones. And then he saw an enormous amount of death, and it was very dry. Now, from where Ezekiel was, he knew nothing of, of these dry bones. God had to take him to a spiritual realm to reveal the uh, dead things. Sometimes God has to... He has to do something to your spirit in order to show you the things that are dead. Sometimes we're walking right in the midst of it and don't even know it. We're so good at hiding the, the dead stuff. We're so good at acting like it's still alive. We're so good at just playing like the reality is not the reality. It took God to take him to a spiritual place to show him that there's some dead stuff here. The secret things. This is why we thank God for some of the messages we've heard here, like the secret things. We, we had to go and dig out some stuff. God had to take us to and place us in a certain setting for us to dig deep. She talked about will we give it all to God, the shame and the grief, digging and going back to that place even if it was as a child, going back to eight years old to realize there's some dead stuff here that's affecting me. The Bible says that the devil walks the earth seeking whom he may devour. It also says that he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. In verse 9 of our text, Ezekiel says, and God tells Ezekiel that these these things did not die a natural death. These things were slain. These things were taken away from me. These things were killed. These things were murdered. That's why he has to speak life. Because God will never let death have the end. He will never let it have the last say so. So he's going to always step in and do something to bring life out of chaos. He calls these bones slain. And killed. They weren't just dead. They were killed and they weren't even given the dignity of a proper burial. Their carcasses were left exposed to the brutal elements and ravishing beasts. This left them not only slain, but unrecognizable. So Ezekiel's here looking at these bones, not realizing that these are my people. 
In essence, I'm looking at myself, dead, unrecognizable, no proper burial. How could that be? He didn't realize until God told him that he was looking at the carcasses of his own people. Now, even though the devil came to kill, to steal, and destroy, God is seeking also. There's two search parties going out right now over every soul. The devil seeking whom he may devour, and God is coming to seek and save what, that which is lost. The party that finds you is going to be the one that you answer to. Every search party calls out. Which party do we answer to? Do we answer to the devil's party and we end up slain in the valley of dry bones? Or do we answer to God's search party and receive life? He says that God was also manifest in 1 John 3 and 8 to destroy the works of the devil. Not to cripple it, not to cause it to limp. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And if we claim that the works of the devil are destroyed, sometimes why do we find ourselves in so much chaos? If John says concerning the saint, that wicked one toucheth them not, then why does it seem like the devil's hand is all up in my spiritual cookie jar? <laughs> if he doesn't touch us, sometimes there, there's deceit with the devil's party. The devil is very sly. He, he, he makes things look good. He knows how to dress it up and advertise it and present it and sell it to you to where it looks like God, but it really isn't. This is why he tells us to try the spirits to see whether they be of God or not. So he asks him a question. Can these bones live? What, what do you think, Ezekiel, standing here, now that I've brought you out here, Look down, look around. In fact, just walk, walk on around them. Just circle around them. See, can life come out of this? God will ask us sometimes, do you really think that that dead situation in your life can live? And you've been looking at dry bones, five, 10, 15 years, and you say, there's no way that that situation will ever be what I thought it could be in God. What is the potential of the situation? Where do you see your situation in the future? Do you see yourself coming out victorious? Do you even have vision? Because these bones had already spoken and said, there's no hope for us. Our position is gone. There's no place left for me. God has abandoned me. My position in God no longer exists. And when you lose hope, you can't help but be dry and in a desert place. So he's really invoking Ezekiel's faith. What do you think about this? I wish that most of us actually could have more of Ezekiel's spirit because he basically said, I don't know. Instead of faking the funk and quoting a few scriptures, because we have quoted the scripture, all things work together for the good to them that love God and are thee called according to his purpose. And no, we don't believe it at that particular moment. As if in quoting it, something's going to happen. The Bible says that the just 
shall live by what? Faith. If you got no faith, there's no living. No life. So sometimes it's better to say, Lord, I'm in unbelief right now. Could you really just give me some something? Increase my faith. So instead of faking the funk, Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. Now, when you give it to God and tell him and invoke his knowledge in the situation, Lord, you know what it's like to be in my situation. Remember, he was tempted in every point of life the same way we were, yet without sin, yet without doubt, yet without fear, yet without anxiety. Because when we say yet without sin, we always think about, oh, he didn't fornicate. But the, we, we got to think about the real sins that start in the mind, that start in the spirit. The doubting, the fear, the pride. He didn't sin in any of those areas. He trusted God. So he says to Ezekiel, you answered well. Now I want you to do something. I want you to open your mouth and speak. Sometimes we're waiting for God to say something. When God's already put the word, he says, the word is in your mouth. It is nigh in your mouth. If you would just open your mouth and put my word on it, you'll see some things start to happen. The, the best thing the enemy wants to do to us is shut our mouth. And the speech must be persistent. There is power to speech. The Bible says of Jesus that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God we drop to verse number 14 and the word became or materialized into flesh the word actually became something that was tangible something we could grab onto and take a hold to there comes a time when, when all of your speaking Something's got to materialize. And sometimes the reason the sinner don't really want to come our way is because they haven't seen anything materialize. All they've seen us do is speak and speak and speak. Talk about God. Talk about church. Talk about this. Talk about that. But they see, they know there's no real deep change. There's nothing materializing in your life. You still uh, fighting and fussing with your family and your spouse. You still in the mode of arguing and, and all of this stuff. They know the real us, our co-workers in our family. But the power of speech. He has given us also the power, as he has, to speak those things that be not as though they were. We are made in his image and after his likeness. We speak from the heart. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Heart means spirit. So the spirit is the core of your faith, your profession of faith, as it is God's core. God is spirit, but he is also word. He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are what? Spirit and they are life. If we're made, if we believe that we're made in his image and after his likeness, then he put the same fundamental spirit in us. People can try to pump themselves up with their own speech. And if you let 
negative speech come out, all you're going to get is negative results. You have to have faith that God's got my back and I will profess and proclaim that my end will be greater than my beginning. He will not see us go down in flames because his name is attached to us. He won't stand for his name to go down. He said it's of the increase of his government. There should be no end. Sometimes we only say of his government. But we miss the word increase. He saved us to increase. Not just to be in a government. But he saved us to be in a government that, that expands. That moves forward. That marches on. That grows up. That reaches out. If we're not part of that, then we can't claim to have such a great name. So he says, I want you to speak, prophesy. He says, hear the word of the Lord. Any word will not do. The word must be from God. Sometimes we got the wrong word going on. That's why we got to be careful who we go and inquire information of. Because she said it before, especially with, with the uh, evangelical crowd. We're so vulnerable. We take stuff and we run with it. I can't tell you how many emails I get to where all I got to do is go to Snopes.com, type in the, the title of the email, and it will tell me whether this is a fable or truth. And they send it to 50 folk in a list, and it's not true. And then everybody's getting upset. And before you know it, you done got the same old email repetitiously four or five times in one day. That is the power of speech. The power of words. To grab onto something that you refuse to investigate. To check the validity of it. Is it so? So the question is, is this really what God is calling for? When it comes to God's word, he said he sent his word and it healed them. When God sends a word, there is always a healing quality attached to it. In any setting where the word of God is supposedly going forth, whether in song, whether in teaching, whether in preaching, if there is some part of you that is not healed and you're asking God for deliverance and you're seeking God's face, then we need to question that word. He is the same yesterday, today, and for every more. Every day his word has healing. And although the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed. He's being refreshed. He's being healed. He's being revived day by day. If we find our spiritual man decreasing from one day to the next, God's word did not take root that day. The word and the blood go together. He sent his word and healed them. Then he says, by his stripes, we are healed. That means that there must actually not just be words on a page. For the blood to be released, there had to be a breaking. The word has to be released. It's attached to the blood. Our sins are not remitted without the shed blood. The word had to come forward and step out of where it was and proceed toward us. 
This is why we have such a great responsibility as the ambassadors of Christ to speak life into people's situations, to speak life into people's spirits. Not death, not arguing, not bitterness, contentious. It's a waste of breath. It's a waste of life to dote about with these silly questions. Divine results. The prophet obeyed. God will always give details with his commands. He doesn't leave us to fill in the blanks. However, we must wait for him to speak. There may be a time lapse between the command and the details. He tells Ezekiel exactly what he's going to do, but he hasn't given him the details. He said, prophesy to the bones, and I'm going to cause them to live. But after that, he says and gives the details of what he's going to do in, in actuality for them to live. Let's go back to it. Again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Not my word, but hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, God, unto these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. That's all he said at first. Here's the details now. The first thing that he promised was breath. But once we get to the end of the text, the breath was the very last thing to get there. I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. So he prophesied as he was commanded. He didn't add to or take away from the word of God, like we said last night. He left it pure. If we leave it pure, it'll do what it was sent out to do. If we tamper with it, it might end up to your own detriment. You, you may kill a soul in the process. You may cause that soul to miss what God intended for them. We were talking about the, the fruit of the spirit, and we've always heard that the fruit of the spirit was kind of like a, a, a cluster of grape. It's actually just one fruit. And the nine fruit, or so-called, actually are kind of like all the vitamins that are in that one fruit, vitamins that you can't do without. So the word of God might contain that B12 vitamin that calcium, or whatever you may need. But if we extract that, this is how the fast food industry is such a mess now. They, they extract certain things out and, in, and pump it full of junk. We can't afford for the word to be stripped down and then pumped full of junk. If I hear more about you as a representative of Christ, and I'm hearing more of you than I am of God, then something's wrong. If you're not transparent in your testimony, something's missing. God calls for transparency. With John the Baptist, he was transparent. As powerful as he was, and even Jesus said, he's the greatest prophet that ever lived. Yet, every time he opened his mouth, he said, this is not about me. Take your eyes off of me. I'm talking to you about somebody who's going to come and rock your world. As much power as you think I have, there's one that has more power than I do. 
we get excited when we lay hands on folk and folk fall out, which most of the time is nothing but emotion, which sets up the scenes for people like a Benny Hinn to come on and knock you down and pick you up and knock you down and pick you up. That's flesh on parade. We don't see God's power manifest. I, I don't see God anywhere in that. All I see is you. So he said, as I began to speak, and when he says did it, it kind of reminds me of when Peter preached to the Italians. Because in chapter 11, when he gives his testimony of what happened in chapter 10, see in chapter 10, we read that the Holy Ghost fell on him. But in chapter 11, we actually see when it happened. It didn't happen at the altar call. It happened at the beginning of his sermon. He said, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as it did on us at the first. I hadn't even taken a text, really. What would it be like if we came to church and as we were, were inviting and welcoming the visitors, the Holy Ghost started falling? As I began to speak, Ezekiel says, behold, there was a noise and a great shaking. Something ought to move when you speak God's word to somebody. Something's got to move. If it don't move, I don't think it was God's word. When God spoke, the thing just starts shaking. You have that word in you. We in this room have that word in us. Ezekiel didn't even have the Holy Ghost. And when he spoke God's word, it started to shake. Because the word, when it's pure, it works. It worked in the New Testament. Peter came to, to Jesus and said, there's, some, there's a group of folk that are casting out demons in your name. And they're not of us. Jesus said, leave them alone. They're putting my word forth in faith. Just because they don't call themselves your little group don't mean that I don't have somebody else representing me. So we gather from that. It don't take the Holy Ghost to cast out a demon. It only takes faith in God's word and the invocation of his name. I know folk don't believe that. Jesus said it. If he said it, then I, I'm going to go with it. So he says, when I began to speak, there was a noise and a shake. When, if you think about Paul and Silas in the prison, I don't know what song they were singing. But whatever song they were singing, the same thing happened here as it did with Ezekiel. There was a noise and a shaking. I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready for God to shake some things up in my life. Then he says, the bones came together. Look, look what God did. Here he is in a, in a valley of bones. And the bones are scattered. And there's nothing but bones. Here, when the word of God goes forth, this bone flies over there to that bone. How did that bone know which body it belonged to? 
There was no genetic testing to match up, okay, this fits this and that fits that. When God is ready to speak in your life, the pieces that have been scattered, they will find themselves back to the right place. The things that have evaded you and you don't know what in the world happened. My plan was so right. I was on track. Everything was going the way I wanted it to go and it all fell to pieces. And now I don't know which end goes to which end and how to make ends meet. But when God's word goes forward, the pieces find themselves back to the right piece. And then the sinews come upon it. And then the skin covers them, but there's no breath. Look at the path. The first thing, like I said before, that he promised is the last thing fulfilled, which is breath. The first thing he promised in the garden really was the salvation of man. But it took 4,000 for him to come, 4,000 years for him to come and to actuate that plan. And by the time he came to, to fulfill it, he had already said, we're in the last days. So the first thing that he promised is the last thing that he fulfilled. But all in the middle of it, the pieces were coming together. This is why we got to study the Old Testament and read through some of those stories and events and find out what piece are you trying to put together in my life in this story? What are you telling me in this particular situation? So by the end of the age, when, when he breathes on the thing, all the pieces will be joined together. Sinews means one dressed for use as a cord or a thread. It is solid, resilient strength. It is the chief supporting force. Number one, the word goes out. Number two, there is a noise and a shaking. Now, he doesn't say where the noise and the shaking happened, but I actually believe that the noise and the shaking happened in the heavens. Because what he was actually doing with the noise and the shaking is he was shaking heaven, the spiritual warfare, in order to actuate on the earth what he wanted to do. Next, the flesh, then the skin, then the breath, and then there's life, and the end result is really knowledge. If we go back to our text. Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. What he wants you to get in the end is that you know that he's the Lord. He did all of this for you to gain a, a, a basic knowledge that he really is God. And if you weren't a part of it, then you really wouldn't have that knowledge. You have to be included. We can't go on somebody else's testimony. We can't go off of what somebody else says God is to them. That's good for you, and I'm glad, and I'll shout and rejoice with you. But, but I really, I got some stuff I want God to work out that fits me. I don't want a hand-me-down blessing. In our family, we had hand-me-downs. I was the third child in the house. 
So I got the clothes that the older brother got. But that first one, he got all brand new stuff. And God treats us all like we just his first child, individually. Now with him, there is no favoritism. He is no respecter of persons. We have respecter of persons. We lie about it. And we claim that we treat everybody the same. No, you don't. No, you do not. Mm-hmm. Tell the truth and shame the devil. Notice all of the activity. There's two words here. He says to speak to the bones and prophesy to them and tell them. Now, in the first prophecy, he promised breath. But there was no breath in the first action. He only brought the bones together and put the sinews upon it and put the flesh upon it. And he put the skin over it and he caused them to even stand up. I'm sorry, no, they, they laid there, but there was no breath. Some of us have been watching God strategically bring bone together. A little flesh, a little sinew, a little skin. But we're wondering, is something still not right? We've seen God working the matter out, and we know it was his hand. And it, it, it's like that one last little thing. Like, Lord, I know you promised this to me, and, and bone has come together, and there's flesh on this thing, and it looks like a body now. Don't look like a dry bone anymore. What's missing? It's not living. So what he does is he sends a second word. Some of us are in a place now to where the, the first word has gone out, and we've seen God moving along the way. And now all we need is a second word. Once you get to your second word and you're in the place to where it does seem like some things have happened but not the final result, stop prophesying to the bones. That part is done away with. The bones have come together. What are you still talking to the bones for? Don't keep repeating the problem. It's time to move on to the next word. And the next word has a new target. The first word's target was the bones. The second word's target is the wind. God has already brought the bones, sinews, flesh in your situation. It can't be put together any better than when it was already lined up. Now we must believe that the word accomplished what it was sent to do when we prophesied to the bones. When we spoke over that child, when we prayed for that sick one, the word went out. When we prayed over that finance situation, we talked about what we needed from God and what we wanted to see actuated in our lives concerning our, not only our spiritual well-being, but he's concerned with everything with us. He says, I I would, my prayer for you is that you would prosper even as your soul would prosper. He says, I pray that your whole body, mind, and soul be 
deserve blameless until the coming of the Lord. That means he's concerned with my natural life. Don't let nobody rob you of what God can do for you right now. He says, because if you have forsaken mother and father and land and houses, he said, I'll give you 100 fold in this life. Yet we're told, don't worry about that. No, he promised it to me. It's his word. So that first word that was gone out, it can be actuated. It could be there right in front of your eyes, but it won't move. It won't, it can't be brought to life yet. So we don't prophesy to the bones once they come together. Matthew 6 and 7 says, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Do you really believe that God heard your, your prayer request? Haven't you seen him start to move? Then don't repeat that prayer. Say, Lord, what is my second word? Prayer has to progress. There, there are certain religious groups who whatever you need in your life, they have formulated prayers. We see this in the Catholic Church. But there's no formula to the various tests and trials in your life. You can't formulate a prayer when you're in the, in the heat of the battle. It's got to have a specific prayer for that specific season and time in your life. So now it is time to prophesy to the wind. Speak to the wind with authority as from God. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain. He didn't prophesy to the breath. I want you to get this. It might help with our prayer lives. Prophesy to the wind and then tell the wind to breathe. So the wind is not the breath. The wind simply carries the breath. The wind is the package of the breath. Don't get so excited about speaking in tongues. It's the wind. On the day of Pentecost, they were all gathered in one place with one accord. And there came a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house. What was in the wind? We get so preoccupied with the sound of wind. That something's blowing. What's in the, we could get excited all we want about looking into the sky and seeing a, a, a tree way, sway with the wind. But what do you do when you go outside and you inhale there is life contained in that wind. Things that you cannot see are in the wind that give you life. All of the storms that they went through in Jesus' ministry. All the times that we hear there was a great 
a hurricane or there was a storm. There was always something in that storm. There was something in that wind for Jesus to speak words to his disciples. Even Peter, couldn't, he couldn't grasp what was actually in the storm because the storm itself seemed so intimidating. We get mad at God. God has sent the wind your way with a blessing in it. He sent the storm your way and you refuse to see and to inquire what is in this storm. We're intimidated. We're frightened. We're fearful of the blessing because of the packaging it came in. So the breath is in the four winds. The wind is not the breath, but God uses the wind to bring the breath. North, south, east, and west are the directions in which Israel was scattered. When that particular thing happened that almost ruined your life, you thought that it was going to crush you, and everything that God promised you seemed to go north, east, south, and west, just scattered. You couldn't grab it all if you tried to. He says the wind that carried your blessing away prophesied to that same wind and say, give it back to me. <laughs> so the wind is nothing more than a delivery vehicle for the precious cargo. God can use anything and anyone he wants anytime he gets ready. When he says that we speak in tongues, Paul said, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaks mysteries. And he speaks them to God. Now, wait a second. God is the one that shows us mysteries. Yet, his Holy Ghost is, is somehow affecting our spirit to reveal our mysteries to God. It's in the wind. The wind carries that message. It, it, it provides mobility. It provides something that is moving to carry that thing back and forth. This is why usually when, when I work the altar and, and something really drops and the Holy Ghost falls on somebody and they begin to speak... I'm honing in saying, Lord, what are you really doing for the spirit right now? I'm not, not just the outward sign. I thank God, and it sounds good, and it sounds powerful that God could give somebody a language that they never studied before, and they could speak it fluently, and, and it's been, been uh, validated by science. People have come in that have known languages and said, yes, I know that language. But what is happening in the midst of that? What is going on in the, in the spiritual realm with that individual when they're in that moment? This, is, this, is, this stuff will, will cause you to almost lose your mind the next time you pray in the Holy Ghost. To know that God is doing something that I cannot see right now. So he says, these bones, he didn't say just the house of Israel, but he said they're the whole house of Israel. This is Israel summed up. 
although this army didn't make up all of Israel, God used them to represent all of Israel. He is dealing with the end result, the whole individual. When something's stirring, excuse me, in you, he's dealing with your whole individual. This house is the whole house of, and then you could put your name there. That means my, my emotions, my spirit, my physical man, all of that God is affecting in the wind. Jesus said, when Jesus saw him lie, first, I'm sorry, St. John 5 and 6, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto them, will you be made whole? Bishop Saunders preached that once. Will thou be made whole? When he came to the pool of Bethesda, and, and there was a certain time of, of year where the angel would touch the water, and the water would be troubled, and the first one that made it into that water would be made whole. And there was a lame man that sat that way, I believe it was for 40 years, and for 40 years, or however long he had been in that situation, he missed it. He said, will you be made whole? He said, Lord, I would, but we need to find out what the buddy is in our life. Will you simply be made whole? Do you want this thing or not? Well, Lord, I need somebody to come and pick me up. You don't need no man, no woman to do what only God can do for you. Get yourself in the water fast with the quickness. This is what Jesus was telling him. You ain't got no excuse. If he's telling a man with no legs that he's got no excuse not to get into the water, what do you think he's saying to you and I right now? When we have the resources, when we know what the word says. Third John, verse two says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Colossians 2 and 10, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. There's no reason why you only want God to speak to your spirit, man. I think you cheat yourself when God doesn't deal with your psyche, when he doesn't deal with your intellect, when he doesn't touch your social life. This is what I was saying last night. We claim oneness, but we live our lives in a Trinitarian mindset. God came to seek and to save that which was lost. What was lost? Y'all go home and look at what was lost. Not just, the, not just the, the communion between God. There was a lot more to it than just the spiritual side. If it was only the spiritual side, then why is he going to give us a body? He's going to give us a body because there's something to this thing. 
the whole house. So don't be short-sighted. Look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He said, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. They're not evil thoughts. They're good thoughts. And they're, they're going to bring you to an expected end. The expected end is not on God's side. The, the expectation is on the human side. What do you expect God to do for you? That which is spiritual produces that which is natural to show forth the praises of its creator before it is ushered into the eternal realm. So all we got to do is when he asked that question, can this, what, what can become of this situation in your life? Lord, you know. Then speak to it. And if you already spoke to the bones and the bones have come together and the sinews and the flesh have come on it and the skin is on it, it's time to speak to the wind. What was it that made the whole thing crumble? That's the thing you need to speak to. Like the song says, everything that the devil stole, God's giving it back to me. So we chide people because they say, oh, the devil can't steal nothing from me. Well, some things we have just left the door open. <laughs> he and he have to pick the lock. We ain't set the alarm. The devil has come in. We've just given him some stuff. God says, if you speak to the four winds, and the word four, I mean the number four, is actually the number of man. It is the number where God puts all of his focus and attention on us. Speak to those four winds. And see, don't you see a noise and a shaking and a coming together? And after, after a while, that thing will stand up and it will be an exceeding great army. And then you will know that I am the Lord. Because all the stuff you've been trying that ain't working, it's because you're not putting God's word on it. You've been putting your own word on it. You've been putting your own thought process behind it. Bible says it is the glory of God one of my favorite scriptures Proverbs 25 and 2 it's the glory of God to conceal a matter but it is the honor of kings to search the matter out in other words God will tuck something away and cause you to, to inquire and have an inquisitive mind about it it is your honor to go and search it out and don't think that God ain't going to give you the answers like she said, she wants, he wants to show us his heart. Give us his eyes. Give us his ears. Give us his discernment. And although it looks dry now, that is not the end. The wind. The blessing is, is going to be carried by the wind. The breath is in the wind.